We're in chapter 8 now. Chapter 8, 1 through 11, 1 is our, our next section here. Uh, we've titled it Immoral Meals, Understanding Freedom, Restraint, and Food Sacrificed to Idols. Now this is an interesting deal because in many ways we're going to feel like this doesn't directly relate to us, but I think you're going to see it's hyper-relevant, okay? Um, so here's the deal. In Corinth, idolatry was intertwined in everything. There was no division between the sacred and, and, and the secular, okay? So it was common for food to be sacrificed in the temple of an idol and then to be eaten there as a way to commune with the gods and to commune with the people of the gods, all right? Food that wasn't eaten in the... Uh, or food that was... Some that wasn't eaten was then taken to the market and it was sold there. So much of the meat that would have been sold in the market would have been already sacrificed to, to an, an idol. Also, um, and this is where you can see maybe some of the, the real clear connections. If you were going to do a business lunch with a guild or with another person who had the same trade as you, very often... Rather than going to the food trucks, the food trucks were the temple. Like you would go to the temple and you would eat meat sacrificed to the idols and it would be part of your business meeting. It's, it's intertwined in, in everyday life. So if, you're, if all of a sudden you're a Christian and now your buddy says, Hey, let's, let's, go to, let's go to lunch, and uh, why don't we grab some, um, some tacos at Aphrodite's temple? All right? Yeah, I love those beef tacos, right? And Aphrodite, she's the best, all right? right? So we're going we're gonna to go there, okay? And now you as a Christian, you're conflicted because you know that for them, that food has been offered to a god and dedicated to a god, which you know to be a demon, and... You are. You got to decide. Are you going to partake in that for your own conscience' sake, and also for that person's conscience' sake? Because if you just wolf it down and don't say anything, what could you be communicating to them? That you, as a Christian, are cool with this, but as a Christian, you're not cool with it because it's idolatry, right? So, what do you do? Because if, if you start saying, well, I'm not going to do that, what's going to happen to you socially? You're going to be rejected. You're going to be scorned. You're going to be an outcast. You're going to lose your job, maybe, right? You're going to be thought of maybe even as atheistic and dangerous because you're going to incite the gods against us, right? So Paul's like, we got to talk about this because... This, the way that you interact with these things, the, the food sacrifice to idols, doesn't just affect you and doesn't just affect unbelievers. It also affects people in the church because you've got a whole slew of people who are coming out of idolatry and anytime they even think about idols, it grieves them. And if you're over here wolfing down food sacrificed to an idol because your conscience is clear and they are there, there's dynamics in play that Paul said we've got to think about, okay? So there's a couple instructions that we'll see laid out here. The, the, just this is in the three chapters together. One of the things that Paul's going to command or, or explain is that Christians ought to not eat the food offered in the temple. So this is the command. Never go to the temple food truck and eat 
the food offered to the idols. Don't, don't do that. That's, that's going to be a public association with that God. That's what it means for them. That's what it means for you. Don't go. Second thing, Christians ought not eat food offered to idols in somebody else's house if the host tells them, hey, this was offered to an idol. So if you go over to your buddy's house for some brisket, as a Christian, you kind of go in with the don't ask, don't tell policy of you don't ask them, hey, by the way, was this sacrifice to idols? You just go and you just eat and enjoy. But if while they're cooking, they're like, oh, this is that Aphrodite joint. This is, this is amazing, right? Now, all of a sudden, what you can't do, he says, is eat it. And what he's going to say is not just for your conscience sake. So if your conscience is clear, that's fine. But now for that person's conscience sake, even though they're an unbeliever, you need to not further their understanding of what, what this goddess is, right? Now, Christians are free to eat food without investigating whether or not it was offered to idols. But all must be done while keeping in mind how it affects the rest of the church. So, there's, so this is one of the things about being a Christian. You're always thinking, how does this affect my conscience before the Lord? How does this affect non-believers who are watching? And how does this affect believers? That is always on the radar of the people of God. And that's what he's dealing with here. Okay? The way this is going to flow is chapter 8. There's going to be the call to build up fellow believers. Build up fellow believers. I think in the original outline it said something about edify something people. So build up fellow believers. Chapter 9 is, is be willing to sacrifice your freedoms. Chapter 9, be willing to sacrifice your freedoms. Paul going to hold himself up as an example here. And then chapter 10 through 11, 1, beware of idolatry and apostasy. You're going to see these will kind of build on, on, on each other. Okay? So be careful with your freedoms. Now in chapter 8, what we're going to see is that believers should imitate the sacrificial love of Christ by giving up their rights for one another. This is kind of the undergirding message of what he's saying here in chapter 8. Let's watch. Verse 1 through 3. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. So notice again there, that's in quotation marks. It's believed to be one of the Corinthian slogans. Okay, Remember they had those, all things are lawful for me? Well, here's another one of them. We all, all of us possess knowledge. He says, this knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. So what's happening here is in the church, let's just imagine this is, this is our church. Okay? This is not a church. We're just a bunch of Christians who are together. But if, if this were our church, let's imagine that this crew over here okay, um, is very sensitive to their background out of idolatry. And it, it grieves them to even look at meat and be around it. And it, some of them feel tempted to eat again because of just that's, that was their lifestyle before. It's, very, it's hard for them. And then we have the other group over here uh, who, who knows, listen, idols are stupid. There's nothing there. Everybody knows that. I mean, we're free to eat anything, right? I mean, it doesn't affect me. I love God, right? So you've got this, this, the people with knowledge, and then we have the other group, which Paul will call the weak. So the weak and the strong is language that's used here. It's also used in, in Romans. It's the same idea. Weak meaning 
You're lacking conviction about knowledge of, of truth. Doesn't mean it, you're, you're, you're weak in the sense of less important or not as good as them. It just means that your conscience is not free to engage in something where another brother's uh, conscience is free to engage in it. Okay? Because you all know, idols say nothing. Well, what Paul is saying here is, y'all with the knowledge, if that's what you're holding on to, it kind of gets the, y'all over there, y'all are, are silly. So it gives this puffing up sort of attitude toward other believers. Rather, a loving attitude is going to seek to build up and serve them rather than look down on them. Does that make sense? This is what he's saying here. So there's a, there's a group who boasts in their knowledge that idols are not real, so they can eat any food regardless of who it's with. The problem is that that sort of knowledge isn't leading to love for God and love for others. It's all about really self and rights. Well, I'm free to do it. Right? Verse 4. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that, quote, an idol is no real existence. So again, probably another Corinthian slogan. Um, and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things uh, are and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. So what Paul's doing here is he's affirming their theology and the fact that there's, there's correct statements that they are holding on to, that idols aren't a real thing. I mean, Isaiah is really clear about it. You just you chop down a piece of wood and you use part of it to make a god and the other part to make, you know, a bonfire. He's like, it's, it's dumb. So they, they know this, right? They, 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 he, and he's affirming, that's right. He affirms that there really is one true God, though there are many pretend gods. And that, yes, in Christ, you know the one true creator. Yes. However, 8-7, however, not all possess this knowledge, but some through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol. And their conscience, being weak, is defiled. So this is the issue. The reality is that not all people experience the eating of food sacrificed to idols the same. Right? For some, it brings back uh, tempting feelings of association with that idolatry. And if they eat, they're going to be sinning against their conscience. So even when they're thinking about getting it, they're thinking, I shouldn't do this. This is not right. This is not right. This is not right. Now, your conscience, when you think about your, your conscience, so conscience is something that all people have, that for the believer, when you get the Holy Spirit, He informs your conscience even, even more. Okay, So the, the, the conscience, um, it, it, it's, it's having the knowledge of what you believe to be right and wrong. And the conscience can vary from people to people, and it can even change within people over time. All right? So, what, that, what it's not talking about is clear moral things. Like, well, my conscience is free in regards to you know, committing adultery. Well, that's a very clear command that there's no, there's no, there's no wiggle room on that. It's just crystal clear. This is in what you might call non-moral issues, or non or, or gray areas is another way to think about it, right? So, should you go go watch the, a movie that has some language in it? Some believers might feel really grieved about doing that because their background before they knew the Lord was 
man, it was, I use that language all the time, and I feel very grieved about that. And I, I think I would be sinning if I went to go see that movie. Where other believers are hard and calloused. No, I'm just, I'm not, but they, um, maybe, maybe, um, but maybe, for real. But, but, but if not, they're, they're, maybe it's just, it doesn't sit on them in the same way, right? Um, so, for instance, for me, like, I, I, won't, I won't watch a movie that's got a bunch of blasphemy in it. It wears me out. They've kind of got, like, the two-strike rule for me. Like, there's one, next one, I'm out, I'm out. I don't hear it. I just don't want to hear him talking about my Savior in a way that's blasphemous, wears me out. Like, I don't, I don't need it. I don't, you can have your money back. I don't care. So all that to say, I think I would sin against my conscience to sit through a movie that's GD in it and JC in it the whole time. Like, I, my conscience would be so grieved, I would be sinning. Okay? Very much off subject. But, but the, the idea here is, is with the food sacrificed to idols, um, there's some whose conscience is weak. It's, it's uninformed, not in the sense that it doesn't like, okay, I, I can acknowledge that. I can see what you're saying, but it's an unliberated conscience. Um, though they're, they're, they're permitted to do something, they believe it would be wrong for them. So for instance, let's just take a really quick example of, of alcohol. Okay, So alcohol, in and of itself, is a, is a neutral thing. It's, it's, I mean, it's used in the Bible to talk about celebrating. It's also used in the Bible to talk about drunkenness. It can be used for, for good to give glory to God, or it can be used poorly to satisfy the desires of the flesh. I'm certain in this room, there are people who have very strong opinions about that. There are some people that if you serve them a glass of alcohol, that they would know they should not drink it. And it would actually, they would be sinning against their conscience by drinking it. Where there's other people who it would not be. They would know they should not get drunk. That's obviously a sin. But they're able to enjoy the fruit of what God has given as a way to praise God. Now, there's some people who would hear that and be like, I just don't understand how that's possible. And there'd be other people who understand, say, I don't even understand how you can feel guilty about this. And, and this, this is, God leaves this on purpose in the church so you can love each other. <laughs> like, he does that on purpose. And so if the people with the knowledge are like, oh, we got to straighten them up. You know, come on, y'all. Like, we need to have a class on why you can drink alcohol. Like, that's just not loving. Right? So this is, this is the heart behind what he's, he's getting after here. His subject is the food offered to idols. Verse 8. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat. And no better if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have uh, knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience, when it is weak, you sin against Christ. So the truth is that eating food sacrificed to idols doesn't actually do anything to you. There's not more protein. There's not more sin. There's not, it's just not... He's like, it's food, okay? But it does matter how it affects other people. And he warns the wise, those who have the knowledge, to be careful with their freedoms because they could cause a weaker brother or sister to disobey their conscience, which is a sin against them and a sin against Jesus. All right? Now, this can happen accidentally. So, so for instance, if, 
If, if you are a, a, you know, a brother or sister who's, who's free and people come over to your house and you're like, hey, anybody like a glass of wine? And then, you know, half the people start doing that and then you don't know, but there's actually somebody there who's really tempted by wine and they know they shouldn't drink it because of their history and their background, all that kind of stuff. And, and, you, and then, then they're like, okay, I'll have one because of the social pressure to fit in. And then they drink and then they sin against their conscience. That's an accidental sin, but it's, it's still a lack of thoughtfulness of the host in regards to the guests, right? So that same sort of thing happens with the food sacrificed to idols. That if, if I'm weak in conscience and Gordy's strong and he's over there getting tacos at Aphrodite's temple and I see him doing that, I'd be like, I could probably do that. It's probably not that big a deal. Hey, Gordy, let's grab a taco, right? And then I'm eating and I'm like, I shouldn't have done this. I knew I shouldn't have done it. Right? Now, that's different than Gordy says, hey, you, Garrett, come on over here, get some. I'll be like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I, I, you, you know, I, this is not, you know how I feel about that. Oh, come on, man. You know there's only one God. Come on, man. You know there's nothing here. It's just nonsense. Like, nah, I'm right. Like, come on. Now that, which is driven by pride, which I'm not calling Gordy proud, but that was driven by, by pride, is not loving. It would actually be leading your brother into sin. Okay? So he's saying it's very important how you handle your freedoms. Okay? Verse 13, Therefore, if a food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Paul, notice here, is happy to limit his freedoms in order to ensure that he does not cause a brother or sister to sin against God. So I think before we move to chapter 9, what's important to, to ask here is, are you careful with your freedoms? Are you thoughtful? So for those of you who you know, are free to do certain things, do you, before you just walk up at a party and start handing everybody, you know, here, I got some IPAs, who wants in? Do you think, who's there? What's their background? Is this wise for me to do? Is this going to be loving? Right? So there's great responsibility. And the more you know, the more responsibility you have. So if you are the strong, there's a greater responsibility to be patient with and to serve those who aren't thinking the same way. Doesn't mean you, now, for those who are weak, this does not mean that you need to walk around um, enslaving everybody to your weakness. This is, this is not permission for you to do that. So this is not, give, so I'll give you an example of a mature believer doing this. Uh, so Mark Dever, pastor of Capitol Hill Baptist Church, when he got to Capitol Hill Baptist Church, in their church covenant, there was a line forbidding alcohol. It's like, you may not drink alcohol and be a member here. Mark is a teetotaler. He's never touched alcohol. He thinks it's, he thinks it's foolish. He thinks there's no reason to do it. He's, con, he's, con, he's convinced of that. But he saw that line in the church covenant as legalism. And he, though he was convicted in his, with his, his weakness, served the stronger brothers and sisters by getting that removed out of the church covenant. Because that's not how the weak don't get to hold the church hostage. Right? There's got to be mutual service and love for one another. Right? Chapter 9. All right, chapter 9. Now, you're just going to see how this all unfolds. We're going to do questions at the end because it all just fits together. Okay, chapter 9. What we're going to see here is that Paul leads by example and shows them how to limit freedoms for the good of 
of others. Okay? Chapter 9, verse 1. Am I not free, he says? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen our Lord Jesus? Are not, uh, are, are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. He's like, y'all know who I am, right? Verse 3. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we have the right to eat and to drink? Do we not have the right to take uh, along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers, and the Lord and Cephas, which I just think it's interesting to note that Peter was married, the first pope. Just important. <laughs> Verse 6. That's not a shot. It's an observation. Verse 6. Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? So what Paul is doing here is he is upholding his right as an apostle to receive, and what we're going to see is financial recompense from the Corinthian church for his ministry. This is where he's going, okay? Um, so, and he used the example of soldiers and farmers and shepherds who all make a living from their service. And what he's going to say is, don't ministers of the Lord too? All right. So his right is that he could get money from the Corinthians. And then he's going to say, verse 8, Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for the oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing a crop. If we have sown in spiritual things among you, is it too much to reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do we not even more? So the principle here is that uh, a worker is worth his wages. And he says, this is not something I'm just making up. This is in the Old Testament. And if God cares about an ox getting fed when, he, when he's taking care of stuff, how much more a priest or, or, or a pastor or an apostle here, right? Now, what's really interesting about this, and this is where you're going to see where he's going. Paul is up front. He is front-loading this discussion about rights, proving that he has the right to take money from the Corinthians. That, that, that this would be a right thing for them to feed the one who's feeding them, right? But what he's going to say is, but I ain't took a dime from you. Paul has intentionally limited, limited his freedom among the Corinthians because he knows something about them. He knows that they're worldly minded. So what he wants to do is he wants to ensure that they could never once say, well, he's like these traveling philosophers who come in, you know, spit the word and then throw the, throw the plate. That he's trying, to, he's trying to pad his pockets off of the preaching. Paul's going to say, you ain't never going to get me on that one. I ain't took a dime from you and I'm not going to take a dime from you. Now, Paul elsewhere was being supported by other churches. So other churches were funding him. But those were churches that were more mature in this area. They had their own issues. But they were, they were able to support him in a way that they weren't seeing him as, as, as getting rich on, on them. But Paul wants to be really clear. He wants to give nothing. So he's intentionally limiting a freedom of receiving money from them in order to help serve the gospel among them. Does that make sense? Verse 12b, Nevertheless, 
uh, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Jesus. Do you not know? Here's that other do not know. That those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So priests and Levites are paid at the temple. And, and here we see the same idea, that the apostle and the pastors, that they should, be, they should be paid by the flock, that they serve so that they're free, and he talks about this elsewhere, so they're free to be able to, to minister well. So, you're, you know, I'm not, I'm not out driving Uber all, all, all night long to be able to, to make ends meet. Uh, there's nothing wrong with doing that. Uh, praise God that you know, lots of people who, you know, who work really hard uh, for what God has called them to do. But for the pastors, he's saying, listen, if it's possible, the congregation should, should help them. Okay? Now, verse, uh, verse 15. But, but I have... Uh, made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessarily is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. What he's saying is, I think if I take money from you, it's going to limit my ability to minister to you. Because I know how you're thinking. He knows them. He knows what their temptation would be. He says, I'm not going to do that. I'd rather die than not be able to proclaim the gospel to you. Verse 17. For if I do this uh, of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge so as to not make full use of my right in the gospel. See what he's saying here? What, what, what's, what's his big idea? What's he saying to him? He's saying, I have the right to do this, but I'm thinking about you. I love you, and I want you to hear the gospel message because there's a whole lot of liars who are coming through and I want to give not one thing that's going to hinder your ability to hear the important words that you need to hear that's going to liberate you. And I'm not going to take a dime from you. Verse 19, For, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. And now watch this. This is a great section when thinking about evangelism. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessing. You might say that Paul was a cultural chameleon for the gospel. Whatever setting he's in, he's like, y'all want to do kosher? I'll do kosher. Y'all want to eat some bacon-wrapped shrimp? Let's go. All right? Y'all teetotalers? I'm good on that. Let's do that. What, whatever, his, whatever was going on, he was happy to engage in, but what was on his mind was not like, uh-uh, don't, I ain't eating that. I want 
I don't care y'all eating kosher. Get me some brisket or whatever. You know, like, like, well, brisket was fine. But like, get me, give me some, uh, some catfish, right? That's what I want. He's like, he's not holding on to his rights to eat that. He's gonna, he wants to give, he's laying the principle that there should be absolutely nothing that you cling to in your rights that's going to hinder somebody else from hearing the gospel. Listen, y'all, that can be tough sometimes. I remember one time we went down to the Amazon in Peru and um, we go into this village and it's great. And they're, they're all, they're excited we're there. You know, the whole village comes out rah, 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 and we're thankful to be there. And um, they, uh, we, we go up, we get checked in and people are moving. They're, they're, I mean, they moved all their stuff. They let us, you know, sleep in there, these, these huts, these elevated things. And um, all of a sudden we start hearing some cheer about an hour or so later. We start hearing this cheering over coming out of the woods and we're looking over like what is happening you know we're deep in the amazon we don't know is it are are we in trouble like what's happening and then we see people coming out with like carrying like on a pole this critter i don't know it was you ever seen the never-ending story and like those big rats i don't know what maybe not but this is it's this big jungle rat looking thing that they had they had they had killed and they were bringing it back to the camp and they were celebrating because they had found something that they could serve their guests. Woo, <laughs> Jesus, I made it, all right? But I wasn't the same for a few days, okay? It was, it was a different, but, but you know what? We sat down and we ate it. And we ate it because we came there to share the gospel. And what mattered was not whether it tasted good or I have no idea what it was, like... That's not what matters. Our comforts and rights are not what matters. Because what would happen? I'd been like, hey, you know what? Actually, I'm gonna break out my granola bar. I'm gonna eat my granola bar, and uh, y'all, I'm good. Thank you. Keep it for yourself. Um, that would have offended them, and it would have put up a barrier for the gospel, right? This is what Paul's saying. He's saying my life is about the gospel, not about my rights. When I became a Christian, I died to my rights. So now I am free to serve. To serve you, he says, with the gospel. Now, really important, watch this in verse 24 through 27. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. These do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest, after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul is saying, and this is, this is so important, he is saying here that he... He is ensuring that he's remaining disciplined in all things, including his freedoms, to ensure that he does not ultimately disqualify himself from ministry. Let me explain to you what that means. Practicing self-restraint for the good of others and for the glory of God and for the furtherance of the gospel is a safeguard for your soul. I'll say that again. Practicing self-restraint in your freedoms for the good of others and the glory of God and the furtherance of the gospel 
is a safeguard for your soul. Indulgence in your rights can lead to callousness and hardness of heart and ultimately falling away. I think this is an important word in our day, a day of people where we claim our rights and we are so quickly offended by anybody who doesn't you know, make us feel good or safe or whatever. You're Christians, y'all. And what that means is not that it's not important that people should, you know, should be thoughtful about you, but like, that's not what's most important. Yeah. What's most important is the gospel is repped clearly and purely and that Jesus is glorified and that people are served and loved. And it's fine if people mistreat you. It's fine if you don't get your rights. It's fine if you don't get your way. It's fine if you don't get catered to. It's actually not safe for you to always be catered to. It's actually dangerous for your soul. So what Paul's saying is he's very intentional. He's aiming. He's not just boxing. He's not just shadow boxing. Like he's, he's hitting stuff. Meaning he's being intentional to limit his freedoms and to discipline himself so that the gospel can be more clearly seen. Which is really, really important because indulgence produces a hardness of heart that can lead, follow, lead you to fall away from the living God. Chapter 10. Now what he's going to do in chapter 10 is he's going to say, beware of idolatry and apostasy. You're just going to see he's tying all of this together. Okay, So they think the issue is, should we eat food sacrificed to idols? He's like, that's not really the issue. The real issue is, is your heart humble before God with a servant's mindset of others? Are you willing to give up your freedoms for the good of others and the glory of God and the furtherance of the gospel? That's the real issue. All the Corinthians are worrying like, so settle this deal. Can we eat food sacrificed to idols? He's like, well, there's deeper stuff. And what's going to happen here in chapter 10, um, the, the metaphor of, of, of running this race that he just used at the end of, verse, of chapter 9 is really appropriate because they are running a race. Think book of Hebrews. They're running towards Zion, toward the promised land, right? That's the, they're running toward it. And there's an example that they need to consider of self-indulgent people who wrongly mixed with idols that didn't make it to the promised land. The Exodus generation. And that's where he's going to take them now. Chapter 10. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For the, they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with some of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. He's saying, brothers and sisters, listen up. Because there was another generation of people who had a whole lot of experiences with God. They had God, the, the cloud was guiding them. They ate, from, they ate bread from heaven. They were baptized into Moses, meaning they were associated with Moses when they went through the Red Sea. Right? They had a whole lot of religious experience with God, but the fact is, they didn't make it home. And the reason they didn't make it home is because they got ensnared in idols. And they loved their, their sin. 
they were overthrown in, in the wilderness here. Okay? So it is, it is possible to be publicly connected with God and His people, but to not actually know Him, and to prove so by not persevering. And this is where he's going. Verse 6, Now these things took place as examples for us. So it's a legit, real, historical event that he says is intended to bless us. That we may not desire evil, notice in the heart, as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. Quoting there of the the golden calf incident. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. Referring back to numbers. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. He says, Corinthian church, look back to the Exodus generation. See what happened to them. They gave in to immorality. They gave in to idolatry. They hardened their heart against God. And it cost them everything. It's written down, and he says it twice here as an example. As an example. So as Hebrews 11 is an example to emulate, Hebrews chapter 3 and 4, which does the same thing with the Exodus generation, is an example to avoid. Here he's highlighting an example for them to avoid. Just one, We could preach on this all day, but one thing to notice there. Did you notice verse 10? Tell me, tell me what their sin was. They grumbled. Now think about what we've been talking about. Why do you grumble? Because you're what? You're discontent. When you're grumbling, grumbling is the song of a discontent heart. Thanksgiving is the song of a contented heart. One leads to destruction. The other leads to life. Because one sees God rightly and the other one doesn't. So you can just see how he's weaving some of these things together here. Verse 12. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Pride proceeds, tumbles into temptation here. And he's warning them. You who have the knowledge, who are the smart ones, be really careful about that. Because just indulging in your rights over time will callous your heart against God and people. And it's going to lead to a fall. But you don't have to fall, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you such as is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So temptation always provides a way to sin, and God always provides a way to resist. It's always there. There's always a way out. Always. Sometimes it's not easy. Often it's not easy. But there is a way out. Therefore, Verse 14, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Now, be really careful. So here's what you say. For you who have the knowledge, 
be really careful that you just being flippant with idols. Be, be careful that that doesn't lead you into to danger and a calloused, hardened heart. Because that pride, it goes before a fall. Verse 15, I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. And then he's going to tur- turn to the Lord's Supper, which he's going to revisit at the end of chapter 11, but he's going to give us a little preview. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? So the Lord's Supper, in a sense, is a participation by faith in the the body and the blood of Christ, meaning the work of what He's done. So in the same way in John 6, when Jesus said, You must eat my flesh and drink my blood, He's not calling us to cannibalism. He's calling us to partake of Him. That by faith we participate with Him. We abide with Him. We, We receive what the body and the blood did for us. It's appropriated to us. He said, through the taking of the Lord's Supper, what's happening is you are, by faith, participating in the work of Christ in a unique way that's life-giving. Verse 17, because there is one bread and there are many uh, are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are, Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? So what you've got is you've got this camp in the Corinthian church who are like, idols are not a thing. I can go to the the idol's temple. I can eat that. He's like, listen, y'all, don't mix it up there. Don't be foolish. You think you can go down there? You think you, you, think you can do that? You're going to get sucked right in. Be very, very careful. Be very careful. And what he's doing is he's likening the participation with Christ through the Lord's Supper and the participation of the, the, the priests have through the sacrifices in the temple with the communion with demons. So listen, this is not popular, y'all, but Zeus is a demon. Aphrodite was a demon. Allah is a demon. Like, that's not popular. But that's true. This is what Paul says an idol is. They're all imposters that are out to deceive and lead people's hearts away from the living God. He says, so be very careful how you toy with idols' temples. All things are lawful for me, verse 23. Not all things are helpful. So you see what they're, he's, he's bringing, he knows what they're thinking. They're like, but we're free. Like, listen, y'all, not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the market without raising any questions on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So he says, hey, go to the market, buy you some meat. If it's been sacrificed to idols, it doesn't matter. Just don't ask. Just, just go buy you some food. Go home, cook it, don't ask questions. Now, if there's a sign that hangs over it and says, offer to Zeus, don't take it. Go find another place, okay? Verse 27. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you, and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, 
but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? What he's saying is, for your guest's conscience, don't eat it. He doesn't determine whether in your mind it's right or wrong. But for his conscience, you need to let it linger with him that you're not going to partake of it if you know it's eaten or it's sacrificed to an idol. That's going to serve as a way to to prick his conscience. So So how should we think about eating then? Well, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So again, the glory of God is exalted here. Christ, the cross, the magnification of God. That when I think about eating, what's most important is, is God going to be glorified in the way that I am using my freedoms and foods and all these other kinds of things and how it's all intertwined? Is it going to make Jesus look precious? Is it going to show Jesus as precious to other people, both believers and non-believers? Am I going to reflect the servanthood of Christ in the way that I'm eating or not eating or drinking or not drinking or doing or not doing? That thought is always on the mind of the believer. This is our anthem. That everything we do is for the glory of God. And what that does, it brings us away from ourselves. Serving ourselves as an end. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything. I do not, uh, I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that, but that many may be saved. Be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. It's really interesting. So there's a lot of talk about not being people pleasers. Here is your one command to be a people pleaser. Now, don't run that. Don't run with that because that, it could also be bad. But here's an example in which he says, I do aim to please people. How's he using that? How does he mean to please people? What's he mean? Pardon? Not giving offense. Yeah, be thoughtful to serve other people. Please them. But not making this a, a thing where now there's going to be infighting and you're going to be in, you know, wrestling in your, in your heart about, do they really care about me? Do they love me? All this kind of stuff. But rather, with the aim that many may be saved. And then again, here, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Paul is imitating Jesus. He's following Jesus, and he's instructing the Corinthian church with how to follow Jesus. Which, by the way, this is what all preaching is intended to do. All preaching, all teaching, all discipling is, has the aim of following Jesus. How do we follow him more faithfully? That's what all of this has been about. We follow him faithfully by doing it for the glory of God, the good of others, both believers and non-believers, willingly sacrificing our own rights for the good of the gospel. That's chapters 8 through 10 and what it's all about. And what questions do you have? I'm sorry. I have no idea what I just said. Sometimes I'll, that's prophecy. Maybe. I don't know. Whatever it was. Yeah, so thank God it's recorded, so you can check later. I don't know. Uh, yes, ma'am. Yeah, what should Christians think about horoscopes? You should not do them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, don't do it. It's ridiculous. It doesn't do anything. Yeah. Yeah, we would encourage believers to not do that. So if, if there was somebody who we knew who was doing that, I just, I'd have a bazillion questions. Uh, I would just be like, so why are we doing this? What power do we think you're tapping into? All that kind of stuff. Yeah, I would certainly say. So, so you've got to remember, this is one of the things we tell our kids. So for instance, on our way home, there's a, a palm reading place right? 
I used to love to go to those places when I was first a Christian because I'd go in and they'd be like, oh, you seem very spiritual. And you know, they'd do their thing and I'd be like, can I read yours? <laughs> and then be like, oh, it doesn't look good. And they're like, why? And then I'd be like, I just share the gospel. Um, so <laughs> I'm not recommending that. Don't do that anymore. But <laughs> anyway, but, but what we've told our kids is God doesn't command, God doesn't command you to stay away from that kind of stuff because there's nothing there and it's just a waste of time. It's because there is something there. There's a whole world that we don't see that is dangerous. And of course, you've, you, I totally believe a lot of those shows where you'll see somebody and they're like, oh, I have a, I have a word. I have a word from you, for you, from your, your late grandma. Here's what she says. Listen, I'm not doubting they might be hearing a voice, but it ain't grandma. I promise you that. I promise you ain't grandma. They, they might be hearing a voice. And demons have been around a long time. They're not eternal, but they, 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 they live a long time, right? And they, they know stuff. So it doesn't surprise me if, if people who give themselves to demons can hear the voices of demons and can speak things that might be true. I, I totally think that could happen. Satan is a deceiver, tries to get hearts. This is why you just don't mess with them. Good question. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Great question. So how should we think about eating with friends or neighbors who are Muslims or Jews or Mormons? Yeah, do, do not. Yeah, I would encourage you to limit all your freedoms um, and be thoughtful and serve them for the sake of the gospel. Yeah, so you would, you would be very intentional to do that. Yeah, that's good. You, then you, yeah. So the question is about Roman Catholicism and, and idolatry. Well, I, I, I think, I think it's, it's a, there's a lot to think about here, right? So there's, as there's many different forms of Protestantism, though there's a, a, a teaching of the Roman Catholic Church, the way it's practiced in all various sorts of the places of the world, there's, all, there's different uh, amounts of, um, of syncretism. So certainly, in, I mean, there's, there's some places where there's, there's a lot of syncretism with other pagan things, and so that's, that's very clear. I think it, what, I would, what I would prefer to do is to ask a Catholic. I think the most profitable thing is to ask a Roman Catholic, so help me understand, do you pray to saints? If so, what does that mean? What does it mean for, for you? What does it not mean? So I've found that it's most helpful. to You can read up and understand generally what people of different faiths believe, but I think it's really helpful to just ask people and approach people as individuals because as with just about anybody, there are going to be things that they take and they leave. So if you come into a situation assuming that somebody's doing this, I, I, I don't think you're going to get as far and be as helpful and really serve them as if you start ask a lot of questions. So, hey, listen, I've, I've heard a lot of things about Roman Catholicism. I'd love to ask you some questions. Can you just help me understand how you think about it and start asking questions about, like, about that? So I certainly, think there's, I certainly think there's idolatry in the Roman Catholic Church. I also think there's idolatry in Baptist churches and other things like that. So I, I think we want to be, be wise, right? So I'm not minimizing some of the differences that we have. I think they're significant, right? Um, but I would encourage you to approach people as people 
Does that make sense? That, that, that would be my, my take on it. So good, good question. Yeah. Yes, sir. Great question. Great question. So I, I should have mentioned this. Um, thank you. So how do we, when we think about becoming all things to all people, how do we think about where the line is, right? So you never sin in order to evangelize. Like, so if, if the, you know, if all the buddies are like, hey, we're going to go to the strip club, you're like, okay, and I'll share the gospel. Like, no, 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 no right? Um, so, I, I mean, that's, that's a real stark example, but I think we need to be, be mindful of you're not going to do... So, for instance, if you're a weaker brother who knows you shouldn't drink alcohol and you're hanging out with some friends who are non-believers who are drinking alcohol, I think it's fine for you to say, hey, listen, just want you guys to know I'm, I'm not going to be drinking tonight. It doesn't have, I'll drive for you guys. <laughs> um, but it doesn't have anything... Like, I'm not here judging y'all. Just for me, my history, like, I know for me it's best to honor Jesus by not, not drinking, right? So the Bible doesn't say it's a sin. Drinking too much might be a sin, and we can talk about that. Uh, but... That's the way I would, I would handle it. Yeah. So I think it's really helpful just with non-Christians to be really open and honest about who you are and what you do, rather than be like, we're friends for six months, and then, Jesus. And they're like, Frah, really? I, like, I don't think that's like honest or like normal. Like, just be a Christian, you know? Just, just be one. Yeah. So that doesn't mean you need to be like, first day, like, repent. Like, don't do that neither. Like, there's, there's wisdom and all that. Yeah. Anyway. Yes. Good. How do we think about the conscience? First of all, I want to recommend a book by Andy Nacelli called Conscience. Um, you should check it out. He does great work. It's very, it's kind of low, low level, meaning like I can read it kind of stuff, and very accessible. Encourage you to get it. I think it'd be really helpful for this, this kind of conversation. So I do think in, consciences can be instructed and matured and developed to where things you used to be weak in, you can become strong in. That's certainly true. And I think if you want to learn more about the conscience, you should read that book. So, yeah, last question. So, applying verses 23 to 34 uh, when it comes to uh, places you eat that you know or may not know something has been sacrificed by them. Can you not hear many establishments, they go out of their way to advertise things that aren't biblical and that are contrary to God's law. Yeah. Other places do not. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you say that if you see something with maybe a rainbow flag or something that uh, advertises mysticism or that we support this, uh, we support Planned Parenthood or, or those types of things, is that is that being directed here by Paul or is that more of a matter of conscience when it comes to us willing to give your mind to something that goes out of their way to advertise those types of things? It's a great question. How should we think about associations with companies that, uh, yeah, that, that uphold things that we would say are, are anti-biblical? Um, so, I'm not a big boycotter. Like, you know what I love to do? I love to go to Starbucks and then Chick-fil-A and make everybody mad. Like, that's the best. That's the best. Um, so I, I'm just not, I'm not, I'm not big. But at the same time, I think if your conscience is, is, is pricked, then I remember John, John Piper talking about how he, he wouldn't eat at Burger King anymore um, because of, of some of the, their, their promotion and the way they're, that they're, they're doing certain the, the the pride burger and this and that and that so for him he said that he so I would I would certainly not order a pride burger, um, but I don't think you're in sin if you eat a Whopper, right? Um, 
unless, <laughs> unless your conscience is, you know, you know, telling you you shouldn't or you're just, you know, don't want to eat not real food, you know, like all that kind of stuff, whatever it is. Like, so um, I'm sure it's an all beef patty, but you know what I'm saying? So I, I, th- I think, I, th- I do think it's generally a conscience issue, though I remember one time, this is the last thing we're going to take a break. Uh, I, I remember one time I was in New York and I foolishly at this, this restaurant we went to, I ordered the, the sampler platter of meat and um, they brought me stuff and there was something that, I mean, and this is just me, I, I started eating it. I was like, that's pretty good. And I was like, what is that? And they said, that is the blood sausage. And I said, oh. And I just realized I'm eating blood, and my conscience said, don't eat blood. And I was like, I'm not going to do that anymore. So I didn't finish it, right? Even though it tasted pretty good. And I don't know what they did to it. But, um, but, but I had to, in that moment, I, I was alerted to something. And I was like, I should back off on this because my conscience says no. Right? Because I don't know if that's what that's tied to, right? It was it was a restaurant where I mean it could have it could have been something that had to do with Hinduism or some Eastern god. I don't know. So, um, great questions. These are good things to talk about. Remember, the reason we do these boot camps is not just so I get to answer all your questions. This is to help you for the rest of your days in studying this book and applying it with one another. So, I hope this will fill your conversations. Let's pray. Take a break, and we'll come back. Father, we thank you for your grace. Thank you for what we've studied thus far. We pray for wisdom in the remainder of our study. God, would you give us help? We pray in the name of Jesus.